Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, this is Yannick Noah. Remember me? <laughs> You're listening to the Tennis Podcast. So we've had a week off and Matt has gone to get his haircut. Catherine's been hanging out with Magnus the dog. I've been stressing about my football team, West Bromwich Albion, as they try to throw promotion away. Uh, that may or may not mean something to you. And we will be back with a lot of tennis podcasts over the coming weeks and months all together, chatting as we normally do. But today we have a very, very special interview with the French Open champion, of 1983, the world's number three as his highest ranking. But that really doesn't tell the story of Yannick Noah, who is unquestionably the coolest man I have ever met. Davis Cup winning captain three times, Fed Cup winning captain as well, and had a hugely successful music career once his tennis stays had come to an end. I had the chance to meet him just over 20 years ago when he joined the ATP Champions Tour, retired players who just travelled the world, played matches against one another, him and John Mackinna and Bjorn Borg and all these greats of the game, and just got to know him a little bit at that time. He was always a gent to me. I haven't seen him for about 10 years, but I managed to get in contact with him through a couple of other people when we were researching and trying to set up interviews for our Tennis Relived series, particularly the French Open, so that we could tell that story. And you'll have heard an excerpt, perhaps, of this interview when we covered his run to that 1983 French Open title. But the entire interview, it's just a joy, and it will improve your mood. And if you do enjoy this interview, tell your friends, tell your family, let your social media and WhatsApp groups know about it, because it will just leave them happier than when they started listening to it. Here's Yannick Noah. Yannick, I've, I'd like to go right back to the beginning of your, of your career and even before your career and the reason for your career and I believe a meeting with Arthur Ashe. Yeah, absolutely. I, I used to, um, I lived, I grew up in Cameroon, Africa and uh, we were, I was playing in a little club. Tennis was uh, not very big in Cameroon, in the whole country, we had like nine courts. So to play tennis was very a privilege, really a privilege. So, I, um, so we used to go to the club and, uh, at that time, you know, my parents couldn't afford a racket. And one day, one day I heard that, um, some Americans were coming to the club. So, wow, Americans, you know, so, so Marty Reeson, Charlie Passarel, Tom Hooker, 
and uh, Arthur Ashe were doing a tour in Africa. Uh, and uh, they happened to play one day in my club. And during the c clinic, they decided they played with the kids. And I played with Arthur and um, he liked what he saw. <laughs> I was so impressed. You know, he was my hero. So uh, at the end of the clinic, he gave me a racket, his racket, you know, this head competition, you know, that would worth like probably, uh, probably what my parents were making every month. Uh, and it was, you know, it was like a dream for me to meet him, to have his racket. He signed me a poster uh, saying uh, to Yannick, I hope I'll see you one day at Wimbledon. So <laughs> that was very funny. But the next thing that happened is he, after this tour, he went to play the French Open and he talked to Philippe Chatrier, who was the president of the Federation. I told him that he was a little kid, was playing okay. He was in a French, you know, speaking country and uh and i had a scholarship i came to france because of arthur i played uh, in nice for a few years and the first time i played in wimbledon um, that was nine years after we met was in wimbledon because he asked for a wild card that was accepted and we played doubles on the center court so that was a beautiful story so yes arthur saw me in africa and uh, it was a big part of my story because, uh, and after that, you know, for some reason, he was always like, you know, not too far helping me when I was younger growing up. And then, you know, played with him at Wimbledon. The first tournament back in the days, it was called uh, Super Series. It, I was playing in Richmond, Virginia, where he was born. And that was the first tournament I won in a super series and uh, as I was you know going through the tournament like in the semi-final quarterfinals semi-finals I'm playing Roscoe Tanner and there's a gentleman who comes in the locker room he's all the man he comes he goes Yannick if you win Arthur is coming tomorrow I say oh really who are you he say I'm his dad wow so that was that was something I beat Roscoe and uh, and Arthur flew to Richmond I, I played the Ivan in the finals, won, the, won it, and Arthur gave me the cup in his hometown. So that was really special. So yeah, we have a we're very connected. Yeah, very connected still. And and did he keep in touch throughout your career, or did you see him around? Because oh. obviously, you know, there was a long period of of you being a player, and and, and many many years before he passed yeah, away. I, yeah, he was, he was, you know, he was here, always here for me for advice. You know, I went through a phase, you know, when I was like 18, 19, and I'm like, you know, I felt like, uh, I wanted to be my, my own self, you know, so it was like, you know, you want to be away from your father for a while. <laughs> so it was this, and I said, oh no, I'm, I'm Yannick, I'm not Arthur. And uh, so it, I, it, it went on for a couple of years, and then, uh, but he was always there. Like he, he, he invited me. I played my first Orange Bowl in Miami, uh, Miami Beach, and uh, I was 14. He invited me. Uh, I played Wimbledon with him. You know, we played doubles at the U.S. Open together. We played doubles at Wimbledon. Uh, and he was always there for me. And he was very inspiring, obviously, to have a mentor of this status. And, uh, and uh, you know, he, today I'm like, uh, I'm, uh, I was really impressed by what the work, that he, the social work that he was doing, besides being, the, you know, one of the greats. 
he, he, he was always like so active, you know. So, you know, he had this social worker working, uh, in, and and most of all, he was uh, he had this uh, this foundation who was like helping kids in a, in a city to play tennis, and that was really inspiring. So one day I went to the to the Bronx, New York, and I saw what he was doing, and I said, "Oh, one day I, I dream of doing that." And uh, I made one. We have a foundation now. It's called Fête Le Mur in in France, and uh, we're working in all over France in eighty cities. And uh, that was inspired by him. You know, I just wanted to like be useful. You know, beside you know playing, uh, you know, winning, losing, uh, money, uh, whatever. It was. It gave me a, a different dimension. It was something that made sense, and uh, and that's just because of his insp- inspiration, his his advice. Mm. What What was he like, Yannick? What was he like as a person? Well, he was very, uh, he was very quiet, actually. He was very quiet. He had a very, he had a little, he had a little sense of humor, but he was very, he was more introverted, I, you know, and, uh, compared to me. And I, I always remember, like, one day when we played, the first match we played was in Wimbledon, in the, on the center court. And of course, the press talked about the story. The fact that, you know, a few years before that, he, he saw me as a child in Cameroon. So the, the center court was packed and we playing. And I remember we playing Bernie Mitten and Andy Pattison from Rhodesia in South Africa, which led to the, the symbolic was really strong. Uh, and we playing them and uh, I, I had, I had posters of them in my bedroom of all of them. So before we get into the court, you know, you have this, the, always this ceremony where you like staying in this room before everybody get, uh, installed, you know, in the VIPs and everything. And uh, I, I read about all this. And as we are about to go to the court, I'm like so nervous. My knees are trembling. So we're sitting in front of each other. <laughs> And I asked Arthur, excuse me, Arthur. My English was like terrible. And I go, excuse me, Arthur. It's possible not play <laughs> before <laughs> in front of the other guys. And he goes, why? I say, I'm, I'm too nervous, too nervous to play. And he starts laughing and the other guys are laughing. <laughs> I think it's the first and the last time they heard that. An opponent telling them that I'm not, I don't want to play. I'm too nervous. It was like, I was like in a dream. I was like, I didn't know what was going on. You know, I couldn't put my, my mind together. And, uh, and he says, no, it's going to be okay, son. So I, I actually don't remember anything about the first set. I was like on automatic pilot. I don't remember anything. And we end up winning. I, I don't know if it was like eight, six. Yeah, it was eight, eight, six in the fifth. And as we win the match point, I jumped into his arm. I was like so happy. It was like, you know, I could, I could go back to Cameroon by then. It was, that was it. That was like the whole full circle. I was so happy. I was in a dream winning with Arthur on a center court. And I jump into his arm. And before he goes shake hands, he says, Yannick, it's only the first round. <laughs> uh, and, uh, no, he was, he, he was like a, he was like a, a, a big brother for me. You know, it was like an uncle you know, for me. And, you know, an uncle has done so much. So for me to have him, I used to go around, you know, playing tournaments and people say, oh, this is Arthur as protégé. And Arthur was so, pro- so respected that I, I, I actually, 
got his respect when I was starting because people knew I was his protege, especially when I was playing in the States. So, and then, you know, again, you know, advice, you know, about my career, about what to do after my career. Uh, I wanted to do, he says, you know, what are you, he was worried about me because, you know, I was like a party guy, you know, even though I was like doing my thing, you know, he, he was always worried about me. And he says, what are you going to, what do you want to do? Are you going to coach? I said, no, no, uh, I want to do music. And I knew he was going to tell me that, oh, please don't do that. And he said, <laughs> he said, he said, you know, the most important thing to do after your career is just make sure you do something that you like. And I've done music since. And it's, uh, you know, Arthur was always good advice for me. Yeah, that's, uh, that is very good advice, isn't it? Um, you had been a professional for quite a few years by the time you arrived at Roland Garros in 1983. Mm -hmm. What happened in 1983 that obviously we know you won, but mm -hmm. tell us about that journey because like I say, you'd had, you'd had some good results, but you hadn't had a result like that. So what happened? Mm -hmm. Well, I was, a. Uh in 82, I think I made it to the quarterfinals. Um, I felt that I was not quite there, but, you know, not too far. And uh, my dream, my ultimate dream, you know, as a child growing up in Paris, in France, I actually stayed one year as a tennis student in Roland Garros, dreaming on this empty center court about just playing there one day. It, you know, I, I spent, you know, by the eight, you know, beginning of the, the late seventies, I moved to Paris. So I was from Paris. My fam my family was living in Paris. My friends were in Paris, but my ultimate goal was to just win this. And, uh, this year F83, we started in, in, uh, in, uh, in March with my coach Patrice and we had a chat and we said, okay, now from now on, we're going to do everything we can just thinking about this goal, winning this. So we had three months. So we started out, you know, practicing a lot. I went, I was playing great tennis. I was, we went to, uh, to Monte Carlo. Uh, played, win the first round, second round, third round. I'm playing Manolo Orantes. Manolo then was like 36. You know, uh, it was for me an easy game to win. So I'm at the hotel, 11 o'clock. And of course, my friends are calling me. Yannick, what are you doing? We're in Monte Carlo. It's party time. So I'm like, Oh, uh, well, I have a game tomorrow at, 12, you know, oh, it's okay, you know, you wake up at 8, you just come for a little, you know, just come. So I said, okay, I'll come for one drink, it's okay. So I end up staying late, way too late. Uh, and uh, I said, okay, it's okay, you know, I'll sleep to, you know, tomorrow night, you know, I'll, I'll be ready for the semifinal. And I've, so I play Manolo, win the first set, I believe, uh, and then lose because I got tired. And it was very, very embarrassing. So Patrice came to me, Patrice Ajeloer, my coach, came to me and said, Yannick, you know, okay, um, you really screwed up. Um, I, I'm, I, I don't want to be your coach. You know, I, I'd rather stay your friends, but I cannot work like that. We've been working already for three full weeks. And, you know, you, I heard that you went out, you 
last night, so it's not. I cannot work with this. So I say, I say to him, Patrick, I'm really embarrassed. You know, I swear from now on, let's go, let's do it. You know, I'm really embarrassed. And he went, okay, you, okay. So I just, I just had finished the game like half hour ago before. So we went right away. Say, okay, so put you, take your rackets. We're going to go practice for another three hours. So we went to practice right away. And then from then on, I went to work as I'd never did in my life. And, uh, and there, and here we come, you know, I, I went to play Madrid. I won Madrid. First, I played Lisbon. I lost two Mats in the finals. Uh, I was up six, four, five, four and lost it in the finals. In Lisbon, I went to play uh, Madrid. I win Madrid. I, w- I go to play Hamburg. I, I win Hamburg, beating uh, two good clay coach players. Then you know it was uh, Mats and uh, Jose Guerras. And uh, then I had a week of off, and then came the French, and I I, I played. You know, I, I played. I was ready. You sure were. Um... <laughs> You you had a match, I believe, against Ivan Lendl. That, yes, uh, that fortnight. Yes. What do you remember about that? Well, I, I always liked to play Ivan because Ivan he, he was a, Ivan was a better player, but I liked to play him because we were both we grew up as juniors together. He, he was always one, two. I was one. He was two, but he was always. Ivan and Yannick, since we've been like in, you know, 14 years old. So it was always like this competition between us, competition of style, of, uh, of, you know, everything. We were like so different, but with, you know, s- some respect. So I was really, he was pushing me up, you know, and uh, when I was playing him, I was always, because I, I liked his game, I could read his game, so I was always playing well against him for some reason, and even though he won, you know, he was number one, he became like one of the best, the greats, I never got to his level, but when I was playing him, I was always like playing great matches, so I was very, I was ready, I played him, I was playing him in the quarterfinals, uh, I was very excited by the game, so I was I win the first set, I believe six three or six four. I was the first two sets quite easily. I'm up five three, I believe, in the third, and uh, and then he serves, and you know he's, he's like he was like you know he was like so upset. He was like you know acting like he was giving up and tanking. So match point, you know, fifteen forty serve, you know he's. he's he served a second serve and he's come to the net. He was never come to the net, never serve and volley. He come to the net like walking. So I just push it back thinking he's going to just, you know, give it back, back to me. And you just make a little, you know, nice little volley, you know, uh, 30, 40, match, second match point. Third, second, second match point, he does the same. I return, better return, but he makes a, you know, decent volley winner. Okay. I said, okay, fine. So at that point, you know, the, the energy like changed. The whole stadium started to like, I could feel the tension. I could feel the nervousness. I, and, and I just, I just went into a black hole. Uh, I, I couldn't think. I just realized like I had too much points 10, two minutes ago, back to 5 4. I serve. I don't even remember what I did. 5 all. The next thing I know, it's two sets to one, and I was, I was, I was completely 
in a black tunnel. I didn't know where I was. I couldn't think. Uh, totally disturbed. I'm serving the first game of the of the fourth. Uh, I'm serving love 15, love 30, love 40. The, the, you know, I'm playing home, so the people are just, ooh, wow, what's going on? I could, I can feel it. It's like, it was a terrible feeling. And for some reason, I don't know how, I won this game. And from then on, I just came out of the, my tunnel. And I ended up winning this set six love for some reason. So it was like, I almost, I saw death from so close that, you know, it was like, okay, you, you, you died, Yannick. But you have another chance to come back. So I say, okay, now this chance, I don't, I don't let it go. So I won this set, and then I end up winning the game and the match. And I think virtually every player who's ever won a Grand Slam has had a moment like that at least once in a tournament where it could have gone the other way and things might have gone badly. And yet you beat Lendl, and you were supposed to play if the rankings Jimmy. were to be believed, Jimmy Connors, who you'd, yeah. who you'd always struggled against. And yet he, mm-hmm. he wasn't there. Yeah, he wasn't there. Uh, I was, I always had trouble with Jimmy because Jimmy had this way of playing and he's, he was hitting the balls. He was not giving this top spin and you could hit the ball, uh, you know, over your, your hips and on, you know, above your hips and the shoulders, high balls. He was always always like this low balls, low balls. His, his heavy, every shot he hits was always like always close to the net. So you really had to, to play under the belt always, always, always. And I didn't like that. Um, and he plays the, he played Christophe Roger Vasselin and, and Christophe Roger Vasselin played the match of his life and, and beat him. And that was like, the best surprise you know I was like so relieved not to play Jimmy and uh, because I had I had a Christophe I know Christophe we grew up together I never had lost to him but I, I was I had his game so it was so funny because my, my problem then was okay you still have a semi-final to play you know you have a couple you have a couple you know one or two days to, to pr- prepare for the semi-finals so don't think about the final. Just think about Christophe. That was like the main thing to really focus on Christophe because uh, I was so excited. I said, okay, I'm in the finals. I mean, I'm in the finals already before even playing. And uh, Patrice really helped me then. And I played a really serious game, really. I, I didn't miss many. I didn't miss anything. I was in such a good shape. You know, I just had one, lost one set in the whole tournament. So, and I, I, I really... Uh, I destroyed him, you know, it was, it was actually, it was, he was terrible because at some point I was actually hoping that he would play better because I was playing great and he was not playing well at all. He was still in, you know, overwhelmed by the, the win that he had against Jimmy and I could see him on TV all day long, you know, giving interviews, how you beat Jimmy before the game, Jimmy, Jimmy. And I said, Oh, I was, I remember like once I was practicing and he was, he came to practice the day before the game, uh, um, the, our semi-final he came to practice at, this, at the racing club in, in Paris and he came and he had like probably like three cameras a cruise around him like following him on the court so I said oh Jesus how can he focus how can he concentrate and he was mentally he was totally drained totally mentally tired for my for our game so he played a terrible game I played a great game and you know I, I beat him very easily 6-3 mm-hmm. 6-love six 6-love six 
And um, I just wonder, though, Yannick, you have dreamed about this moment. You're about <clears throat> to go into the final at Roland Garros. <clears throat> so many players have tried and failed since. And, and I wonder how you felt the day, the night before you stepped out there against Mats Volander. Well, I was, uh, you know, we were, I was staying in my country house with my dad. You know, we didn't want, you know, to have anybody else in the house. I was staying with my dad for the whole tournament, so it would be quiet. And, uh, and we went back to the home. We had an early dinner and, you know, I was really relaxed. I was, I was looking for, for the game. I had played Mats a couple weeks before, three weeks before in Hamburg and I, and I beat him. So I was very confident. I, I used to love to play mats. And, um, and I went to sleep. And, uh, and for the first time, and it was the last time, I, I dreamt about the whole match. I dreamt the whole match. First set, I lose. Second set, I win. Third set, I win. Fourth set, I lose. Fifth set starts. And I lose the game. And I lost it. And I'm like totally destroyed. I remember crying. I remember it was like so clear this 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 dream. And uh, and I you know I hear a sound and I and it's my dad you know and I say Jesus and I, and I, I was in bed. I just lost the game. You know I felt like I was Monday and I lost the game. And I say, wait, what's happening? Did you sleep well? And I slept for eight eight straight hours. And he goes, you ready? And I'm like, I still have the, my body just feels like, oh, I just lost, you know, you, you're dead. You know, I'm flat dead. And he goes, you ready? You slept well? And then I, and I realized that actually I didn't play the game. The, the, the dream was so real. So I was like, wow, a second chance. Oh, this time I'm not going to make the same mistakes as I did like a few hours ago. And I was so fired up. It was like having, you know, after that I was working, you know, when I became a coach, I was like working with visualization, images, uh, yoga. Uh, and it was like a natural visualization and like super intense trip. And uh, I came on the court. Everything that happened during the match was kind of a déjà vu. It was déjà vu. But I also knew, so we went, warm up, but I knew that was the game of my life. You know, it was a beautiful day. I, uh, I, all my family was there, all of my family, all my friends, everybody, all the people that you know, helped me during the game. Arthur was there commenting for the TV. Everybody, every, he was not missing one person. Everybody was like, so the energy was like so perfect. Perfect day. I was really hoping for a beautiful day because as I was like the attacking player against Mats, you know, it's always better to have like, you know, warm conditions. The balls are faster, the court is faster. And uh, I knew it was the game of my life. And uh, as we were like behind the curtain before coming up to the court, I remembered praying and I never prayed in my life. I never prayed. I prayed. And, uh, and then after the prayer, I remember the feeling that I had is like, was like, 
I'm not, I'd rather die than coming out of this court without the cup. It was the feeling that I had. I was totally into the game, heart and soul for this game. It never happened to me after I played. I won some matches, never won a Grand Slam, won some tournaments. But never did I have this thing. It was like a, it was it was like a spiritual thing. I was I was it was hundred percent me, Yannick, tennis player, for this match. I, I was ready to give everything, including dying. You know, I was ready to die for this one. And uh, and then it happened. <laughs> it sure did. Six two seven five seven six. Mm-hmm. Um. On, I watched some of the match back uh, before before we started speaking, and and a couple of things that really struck me. One is your approach to the match, the the relentlessness of your charging to the net. Now, I, I know you did a lot of a, a lot of time. You were at the net in your career, but was this unusually uh, aggressive? Yes. Well, you know, Mats was giving me the opportunity. You know, after this game, I talked to Mats. Mats is like uh, my friend. And uh, we talked about this, you know. We're always laughing because when it comes to, to Paris, even though he won three times the French Open and won seven Grand Slam, we, 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 we used to do some exhibitions of charity matches. And every time we play, they introduce him at the fine list of, <laughs> the fine list of Roland Garros 83. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> oh, but anyway, so we talked, and he said after this game, he realized that you know he had to to change his game, and he became more aggressive. And this is when he became another player. He was more aggressive, you know, behind his first serve. He could even he could come to the net. He could attack. He was he was just you know not the player that was when in the 81, 82, 83 before this game. And uh, but then. When I played, he was basically staying in the back and trying to pass you, daring you to come to the net and just trying to pass you. And that was just perfect because uh, he was uh, he was exactly the kind of game that I really liked. And for me, attacking was the only way. Uh, I liked it. I loved attacking. I loved being at the net. It, it was my territory. I, I loved it. Yeah. You, on match point, uh, I remember the match point and the way you finished it, and then you you immediately turn and seem to look for your dad in the crowd, and he yeah. he he is there. Um, yeah. Just just talk us through that moment. Well, you know, you, when when you play, and when I when I especially when you play at home, because we have this luxury, this privilege as French uh, to play at home. You know, we're playing at home. Uh, when you play, when I played on this court and I played for 10 years, I know exactly who is where, you know, I know, I know where is my family, of course, I know where are my friends, I know where is these beautiful chicks that I saw the other day, I know, I take all the good energies, I know where everybody is, and of course, you know, I knew where my parents were, and, you know, then, you know, I, I, you know, I, you know, I know, you know, I was, you know, I used to ask my, my, my players when I was a captain, why do you want to win? And they say, well, you know, the first time, say, yeah, well, we want to win because we want to win the Davis Cup. I say, yeah, but, but why do you want to win the Davis Cup? And sometimes they didn't have an answer. 
I, I told them, and this is what I, we play for the people who sacrificed so much for us. We play for them. When we win, we win for them. This is, this is our, the way we can like give back. This is their reward. Like we win, we win for them. We win for the people we love. We win for our fans. We win, but most of all the people have been like sacrificed. I sacrificed my childhood, you know, being with my parents just to be there at this moment. And, uh, but that was like sub in my subconscious. I didn't like, I couldn't put words into it. And, uh, so I win this match point and, uh, I, 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 I couldn't think, you know, I, I, I barely shook Matt's, you know, hand. I, I forgot to shake, uh, Jacques Dorfman's, the referee's hand. And I just saw my dad jumping, you know, from the, the, the stands. And I lost it and we just started crying and he said, I say, I, I was saying, we won, we won, dad, we won, we won, we won, you know, and, uh, crying and, you know, he said, I love you, I love you. It's the first time ever my dad told me he loves me. I knew he did, but he never told me, you know, we had to go that far. And, uh, that, this moment changed my life. It, it just changed my whole life because not that was just the last, the, you know, the last French player won the French Open. It was just that the emotion was so strong and so pure. I think the last French that won the French Open before was 37 years ago. Uh, people were so happy, like everybody in the, were crying. People were crying in front of their TV. And, you know, it, it was like the best emotion possible. How many times you cry of happiness in the arms of your father? You know, if you're lucky to do it once, you know, you, you know, you're the lucky man or lucky girl. You know, you never cry of happiness. You know, you cry, you cry of sadness, of melancholy or, you know, sometimes you can have some tears, but like cry, cry, hugging your father in front of millions of people. So since then, you know, uh, I, I came, I went into, you know, all these French people's heart, you know, and that's the best way to go and, you know, get into people's, you know, you know, heart, you know, to add the best, it was the best door. And, um, and to that day, people always talk to me about it. Always, always, always. Uh, every time, every day, if I walk in, in France somewhere, someone's going to tell me, Yannick, I remember where I was. It was such a beautiful day. We were with the family. We jumped up, up and down in front of the TV. We started crying. You know, we hugged each other. And it was, it was really, really the most emotional thing I ever lived. And, um, and I did it in front of millions. And, and the best part, because sometimes you can say, Oh, I remember one day I cried of happiness you know, in the arms of my parents, you know, but the good part is that I have it on tape. <laughs> I have it on tape and I can show my, I can show my children, you know, I can show it. And it's funny because one, the first time Joe Kim won the NCAA tournament with the Gators, uh, as a basketball player, he won and he was like, and he, the first thing he did was to walk up the stands and came to hug us. Oh. Oh. His mother was like, it was the best day. It was, it was like the best day like to, for my child to do it too. It was like just amazing. So this is history. You know, it just, it just like, it was like a moment that we you know, obviously I will never forget. You know, it was like, you know, people 
always remember. And if I sometimes forget, of course, I'm not here thinking about it all the time, but people remind me of this time always with a, with a good smile. And uh, that's it. That was my French Open. If I had won Wimbledon, which I never came close to, but maybe uh, the US or the Australian Open, it, would have, it wouldn't have been the same at all, at all. I won at home. And after that, you know, I didn't, I, I, I had it all. You know, I couldn't, I was not motivated to, 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 to have another one. I never got this fire. I was working hard, but I never had this extra fire. That was almost, you know, I was telling him like almost spiritual, you know, it was a question of living or dying. Never had this after that because I, I, I achieved it. I achieved everything I wanted. Uh, if I'd won maybe before the Australian Open uh, or the US Open, maybe I would have tried to go f for another one because my goal was to win the French Open. And he went beyond, you know, because my dad coming and everybody, you know, the whole energy was like so perfect. You know, it couldn't be better. It was a dream. Wow. <laughs> What a story. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Hmm. Um, you, you've described how... how afterwards getting that level of motivation you d you didn't find it as a as a player at least i, d I just want to you mentioned wimbledon when when people see you serve and volley and your athleticism you had a big serve why yeah. could you not play better at wimbledon because uh because to win wimbledon you have to return and the return of serve was my my weakness i was way too high on my uh, 
uh, come on, my 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 step, my step. You know, I was always I couldn't I was I, I was I always I was talking to you about Jimmy Connors. I was very always very uncomfortable with low balls. And as you know, back in the days, it's not like now, where the grass was cut, you know, from the net to the baseline, meaning the the the, re, the rebound was like way lower than it is now, where they cut the grass, the lawn from the back uh, to the so the, the grass grows the other way. So basically, the, the the ball bounce higher. So this is why now you have guys staying, winning Wimbledon, staying in the back. We, it couldn't happen before. It couldn't happen. It was impossible, except for Bjorn, who was like a, from another planet. But I, I couldn't return serve. And uh, I grew up on clay. Uh, I always liked to uh, come to the net with approaches, but I didn't have a weapon in terms of ground strokes that could like make me break. And uh, I never had break points, never. So, um, no, I, you know, I... I so it's a joke. Like people, st- when I started to grow my dreadlocks, people say, "Yeah, he, he doesn't like the grass. He prefer to smoke it." But, <laughs> but, but that was funny. And uh, no, I, never, I, I couldn't. I couldn't play on grass because my 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 my, my foot my footwork was not adapted to the to the grass. I was always sliding, uh, falling. Uh, especially as you know, the first week in Wimbledon, the, the grass is like softer and you, it's more slippery. And I never went past the third round. Hmm. You were in part of an incredible era of tennis players. We've mentioned Jimmy Connors, we've mentioned Ivan Lendl, you mentioned Bjorn Borg just then, and mm-hmm. John McEnroe. I mean, these these are players, they're all so different as players and people, aren't they? And and you were part of that. What what was it like being amongst that group? Well, it was, uh, you know, when I was playing, uh, I used to like win matches. I remember one day I was playing in Philadelphia in the semifinals. I'm playing Kevin Curran. Uh, I'm a, I'm better ranked than him, but I always respected the players. I always thought these guys are better than me. I was always impressed by all of them, and. Uh, I beat him, and I'm still. I start. Have t- I have tears in my eyes, and and my coach says, "What's wrong?" I said, "But I beat Kevin Curran." I said, "But you're better than Kevin Curran. He's a great player, but you you you're better than him." And I, I was always that thing that you. Know, I, I never took anything for granted. I always felt coming from Cameroon. My first, I made my own racket. My first racket for my f- the first two years. I couldn't. My parents could afford a racket. I made my own racket with a piece of wood, and for two years I played with this. I couldn't have a racket. I didn't. Have, we. I didn't have with my friends. We didn't have. We couldn't have balls. We had one ball. I played it with so much that it didn't have any more fur on it. It was just rubber, and I had my. I put a name on it. You know what? I put the name. The name on my ball, and nobody could take it. it was a ash was my ball. Nobody could steal it. So when I played and doing my, you know. I was like always like like so much, sometimes too much respect in terms of like, you know, idolizing these people. Bjorn, Guillermo, Ilie, Adriano, Gu- you know, uh, Jimmy, John. I was like, wow, Ivan. I was like, I'm, I'm with these guys. I'm with these guys. I, I, I couldn't believe it. 
you know, most of them, I mean, the people I just told you were better than me, but I was just, you know, competing with these guys, Vita, Skirilitis. The beauty of it is like, you know, we had, as I look back, you know, we had like the, the styles, it was the beginning of the top spin. So you had guys playing flat tennis, uh, 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 I would say like tennis of the 70s, 80s, you know, with one grip. Then you started to have the top spin. People say, oh, yeah, it's the end of the tennis. So you had like different styles. Before that, in the 70s, all the players, tennis was like all dressed in white with a clean cut hairstyle, you know. All of a sudden, you have like guys, still guys with clean cut. Some guys with long hair. You have hippies. You have guys playing with headbands. You have people playing with collared shirts. So tennis, people started to really, tennis became popular. You know, you could, you could wear, you could wear Guillermo's or Adriano's or my shirt or Johnny's shirt on a pair of jeans and go to the discotheque. You know, you, that was hip because you were, that was it. You were hip. You know, and uh, there was they were you know ju- you know I remember like you know when Bjorn won the, the the French and he went to Wimbledon he was like seventeen you know he, he he couldn't go to the outside courts not because it was too crowded of course it was crowded you know but ten times more crowded but it was just girls just girls screaming he was like the first rock star of tennis and I think the best ever at that level he was the best he was the one who brought you know you know who who made tennis popular and of course you know you always have to have so he was like this cold guy and you had johnny was the fire you had Ely was the 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 comedian greatest talent you know but old school uh you had guillermo you know he's uh you know a poet you know, it's like going out with the princess of Monaco. Uh, you have uh, Jimmy, who's like going out with Miss World. You know, and I'm like, wow, this is cool. Maybe I can, you know, if I play well, maybe I can see, a, maybe I can get some beautiful girls, you know. <laughs> I see, I remember to, I, we used to play the US Open and it was like the first years at Flushing Meadows and we used, it was easier to take the train and I'm, I'm like young so we didn't, we didn't have like the limos and everything yet so we're taking the train I'm playing like an, an, an evening station on the grandstand and I remember Vitas Gerlachis was playing on the stadium night station so I, you know, I, I arrive at 4 o'clock you know, so I go from the train station to the club and, and before you could park like almost in in front of the of the of the facility of the stadium and that we walking through the parking lot and i see vitas arriving with a yellow convertible rolls royce three girls coming out of the car three beautiful girls him already dressed to play you know it's not you know with his bag i remember he had a jean he had a jean uh, jacket on top of his takini uh, outfit and he had a sheriff star you know i'm like you know he was the rock and roll of tennis he was unbelievable and i i say wow this is what i would love to come close to 
you know. And uh, and yeah, so you had and people, you know, we were close to the the people. The, the, the they had a, they made a really bad bad uh, rule, which is this code of conduct where you're not, you know, you get a you get a warning when you say shit. You know, I'm not. You know, you say the f word, you get you get a, another penalty, and then you can be disqualified. They killed the game with that. They killed it because now they. they it's not that the players of today they don't they don't have personality. They have unbelievable personalities, but they're not allowed to exp, to express it. And and now you have generation of players who learn the game with this code of conduct. So therefore, you don't. You can see like a game. You know, and and follow a player. You don't even know his voice. You know, and be and I think and I know that people what they like, and of course it's like the different styles that I used to talk to you. I just talked to you about you know the top spin. So you had attacking guys, defense guy. He was you know colored color shirts, colored uh, different rackets, or the, you know long hair. You know, and, but then you know you, you people knew us. They knew us. They knew when they were rooting for one. They knew, you know, people, you, you know, John, John, people loved to see John because they knew it was going to be drama. Drama was great, you know, and then you would have another one, you know, how, how are we going to react to this drama? People came to see this. You know, a, lot, you know, a few people say, oh, I remember Johnny Mac, you know, because of his touch. Of course, I, re- I remember, <laughs> you know, best touch ever. You know, but people say, I remember John. Wow. You know, one day he broke his racket. One day he threw like the, he's the ball into the stands. One day he screamed for 10 minutes. People remember. And that was part of the story. It was part of the, of the film. It was a scenario. You didn't know what you were going to see when you had us playing Vitas. You don't, you don't know which Vitas you're going to have. You know, did you remember the story of Vitas playing Bjorn? They were best friends, and and Vitas was like always three, four, five, and Borg was one, 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 and Borg had him, but they were best friends. So one day they played. Borg wins once, twice, three times, fifteen times, sixteen times, and they played at the uh, at the uh, at the Masters in New York. And uh, and they played. I don't remember. It was a semifinal. The final. Yeah, it was a semifinal. And Vitas won. Vitas win the game. So there's an interview on the court after, and and the speaker says Vitas. He says, "Hey, hey, there's something that I have to say. Nobody in the history of tennis, nobody beats Vitas Gerlaitis more than 16 times in a row." <laughs> So that was Vitas, you know, Borg just lost laughing, you know. And uh, yes, so yes, I think we played in a time where tennis was popular because it was like beyond the game. It was beyond the game. I have like so much respect for the generation today. They playing some unbelievable tennis, but they don't have this luxury to really express themselves so people don't see it. People don't see it. They don't. They don't feel it. People don't know them really. You know Nadal. You know he's a strong player. You know he's one of the best ever. But you don't know him. You don't. You really don't know him. You don't know them. The, you don't the, know Joe. The code of conduct, Yannick. When, mm-hmm. therefore, when you were down the other end of the court from John, 
when yeah. he w- when he would lose it. Mm-hmm. What was it like? I mean, were, were you th- were you able to rationalize that viewpoint then and think, well, actually, this is good for the game. He can do it. That's fine. Or or was it was it tough? No, it was it was part of the big, of the game. John always beat me. Always, he had me because me, the energy that I loved was like a happy energy, excitement, uh, showtime kind of energy, you know. And and John liked the drama. He liked it. You know, you coming with John on the court, okay? We like same size. We starting to play. I'm doing a couple jokes. He trying to. He passes me. I dive. I make a good show. Peep, I'm, I'm taking all the energy. I'm taking the, I'm, I'm, I'm taking all the energy. I remember playing him once in Dallas. They used to have the WCT in, uh, in Dallas, the tournament of champions. I'm playing him. We, we're both from New York. So we had spent some time together at my place, at his place, you know. So we're friends. So we go to play and, uh, okay, we get on the court together and I'm starting for the first time. I'm, you know, I, I'm playing well. The energy is good. People are rooting for me. I was always like the crowd favorite. So I'm taking all the energy of the stadium. I'm much bigger than him now. At that time, for no reason, he created like a problem. It went on. He started to scream, you know. And then the energy totally changed. So my my film, you know, my script, the scenario that I wrote was a comedy, fun, happy feel. It was People enjoyed it. All of a sudden, it like brings like drama, and 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 then as I, I as it goes, I see my my energy going down, down, down. We didn't even play yet again, and this is what happened. And he won. And at one point, we have an argument on the court. You know, he comes to the net, and I'm like, I, me, Yannick, at the time, I'm talking to my friend. I said, John, come on, man. And you know what he said? He said, "Fuck you." For real. And I'm like, I was like, I, I was, I was hurt. So that, and he got me then, he got me. So, you know, we are playing in Dallas, you know, where the Mavericks are playing. So we are, you know, they have these big locker rooms, uh, you know, where you have this one, you know, we are staying in these big locker rooms. So yeah. we, you know, we're playing the tournament of champions, eight players. So we like taking the shower and we're in the showers we're together naked. <laughs> we're together naked so I, I know he's in the shower he stays like five minutes I said God he's going to take how long so I'm going to the showers so there's nobody just us in the shower naked and as I come he just turns his back he shows me his ass like you know I'm not talking to you so I'm like John John I mean that means I lost I lost but I reach out to him I said John so that means like like what we're not friends anymore and he goes I'm sorry man he's part of the game so I'm sorry man and he got me. And, you know, I, I, I understood at that moment, you know, the way. John never, never had a problem when he was winning. It was always when he was very close or when he was losing. And when he started to do this, whoever you were in the other side of the net, you didn't even exist. And this is when he was getting you energy. So that was, the, that was his game. He was the mind game he was playing. I, I, I realized it late. You know, when, you know, I started to work on it late in my career and uh, when I was coaching. So the, the, this part of the mind game things that you, you know, it's not about hitting forehands and backhands. You know, you used to, I used to play Bjorn. One day I'm playing in, in Stockholm 
And you know, it's very, I don't think it happens that you remember the best rally of your life, the best rally. So we're playing in Stockholm, I think in the semifinals. And at one point we have a rally that, you know, from the back, from the back, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. At one point I'm like, tired i'm getting tired during the rally you know because it's been like almost a minute hitting so of course i'm okay i'm going for the last shot i'm trying to hit okay i need a winner now because i can't breathe so i hit it come to the net he passes me i dive he comes he loves me i run i don't have any more gas i run i hit a shot he's back we go another rally i know he's finally i come to the net you know and i you know, in a great approach, you know, he passes me. The, 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 the whole stadium stands up screaming, screaming. I look at him and I'm like, I, 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 applaud, I applaud him. You know, I smile, you know. He looks at me. He doesn't even, he doesn't, he, he barely looks at me. Go back and take the next ball from the ball boy. This point counted for one set. He got me then. He got me because I wanted to connect with him, you know, just have a little break, connect. He didn't let me in. And that was Bjorn, you know, ice, cold. No, but Borg now is like one of my best friends, you know. I, we talk all the time. You know, we see each other. We spend vacation together. Bjorn is like the best. And, uh, but then, no, that was his thing. You know, backhand, forehand, strong, best, best physical athlete, best athlete I've seen on the court ever. Remember, he won this thing that called the superstars. Remember? Yeah. It was this thing with all different athletes from uh, different, you know, disciplines, and he won it easily, easily. But yeah, and Bjorn, that was Bjorn. That was his energy. Guillermo was the poet. You know, you can Guillermo was a poet. He was right. He was actually writing books. John was a bad guy. Yannick was the good guy, you know. So we, you come to see a film; it's a scenario. You, they're gonna play tennis, but it's 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 almost secondary. What how they're going to play? They want there's an interaction between the best. You don't have it anymore. You don't have it, and you know what? That, that's 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 sad. You know, I would I would stop this code of conduct. You know, you know, I would stop it. Mm. And and then if somebody if somebody's behaving bad, so the people are gonna boo. The people are not gonna buy their shirt or buy their his shirts or you know, buy his racket or follow him or love him. You, you do you do get the know. feeling that maybe the, the current guys they don't want they're not prepared to be the bad guy. Uh, even if maybe it might might suit them, might be their personality. There there's a I mean, I think Federer and Nadal, they're wonderful, but not everybody can be like them, you know? Well, not everybody, but they grew, you understand, they grew up learning the game with this rule. This is different. I, you know, at time, you remember about the Australian Open, you know, they, they, they brought this rule and I'm supposed to play Johnny Mack in the quarters. He's playing burn force. We're supposed to have a barbecue after that at Pat Cash's place. So I'm at, at Cash's place in Melbourne, we're outside in the garden watching TV because John is playing Pern Force. He's going to probably win and comes and join us for the barbecue. So we're watching the game and, and it was, the code of conduct was starting. So John, it was actually made for John. 
mostly. So all of a sudden, there's a problem. The next thing I know, I'm playing the winner. The next thing I know, John was disqualified out of the Australian Open. Uh, and then I ended up playing Michael Pernfels, and I love to play these kind of players, as I told you. So he came to the barbecue, he's like all upset. You know, he said, God, I can't. you know, I've been in Australia for one month, you know, I bring my wife and children, and now I'm like disqualified, you know. I said, John, I, I can't, you know, I'm really sorry for you, but I can't lie, I'm really happy not to play you. <laughs> so we had a few beers and a barbecue again, like as, as we as we speak now, Johnny's in LA, you know, he's like good friend with my son and then spend a lot of time together, you know, that's that's part, you know, after all this is over, you know, we, we stay friends. But we had these moments of, you know, yeah, we could play in in tournaments and, and actually during tournaments and and you know interact and socialize together and have barbecues. At, for two years in, in New York during the US Open, we used to rent like a big music studio because some of the guys were musicians or trying to be musicians. So we had like a Jim Courier, uh, Cassio Mota, Carlos Kiemeyer, Ronald Agenor, myself, Johnny Mack. And, you know, we had this open studio. And after the games, you know, in the evening it was open with like, a, you know, some beers and, you know, whatever back in the days. Uh, you know, soft drinks, and uh, and uh, we were just jamming together during the tournament. We also did it once in Australia. We used to jam together with Jim, and uh, you know, it doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't happen anymore. And uh, yeah, no, no. To come back to your question, yeah, it was it, 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 yes, Roger. You you don't see Roger doing it, but you have to remember, Johnny Roger as a junior was a little brat. As a junior, he was a little spoiled brat breaking rackets, cursing, and, he, and he, he came into the circuit and he became like this Zen master that he is, you know, he's beautiful, uh, you know, but the, the, the whole, but these guys learn the game with these rules, you know, mm. and, and, uh, and there's also one thing that is like killing the game today. I don't know if you, I don't know if you agree with me, David, the towel. What is it with a towel? Are these people sweating more than us or what? What is it with a towel that you need a towel before every point? That you have a match that goes, that you actually have 50 minutes of tennis and the match lasts two and a half hours because the guys need a towel between every single point. This is not possible. We have to stop the towel. Well, I get, think, a, I think, get, a, get a wristband, get two wristbands, you know, uh, Ivan at least wristbands, like would take cover almost all his forearm. Get the wristband, change your wristband, get a towel when you're in, during the changeover. What is it with the towels every single point? Well, I, the, the coronavirus is a tragedy, but perhaps it's one thing that it will stop because they, certainly the no, ball kids will No, but you know, like talking stop. about the show, I mean, God, I, now I'm not playing. I'm watching a game. It's a show. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not in front of my TV watching a game where I have to watch like somebody just, you know, trying to dry up his, his racket all day long, you know. So I, I don't, I, this, this has to stop now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yannick, j just uh, one other thing I wanted to, to ask you about is the atmosphere you described in the 83 Roland Garros and 
how you you never manage to find that level of motivation again mm-hmm. on the court. But would it be fair to say that you did as a Davis Cup captain? Because the reason I ask is that I watched back the 91 final and mm-hmm. the journey to that title. I, I am struggling to think of an atmosphere that I've watched mm-hmm. – on TV mm-hmm. like that. It was just incredible to watch. And that and that's just on TV. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder how that experience felt for you. Well, I had I I I was on a circuit with my friends. You know, we friends. We we played in Florida, we played in California, we rent the same house. You know, I'm the godfather of Guy's, Guy Forge's son. You know, we family. You know, we family. I'm like best man of Henri Lecomte's Mary wedding. Uh, I'm the, I'm the big brother. Uh, I introduce you know s- some girls to them when they're young. You know, they, so that they, you know, we, I'm like the big brother. You know, in Paris, you know, they come to sleep at my place when they're juniors. You know, I take them on my Porsche. You know, and then we best friends. And uh, when I stopped in eight, 1990, they asked me to be captain. I said, captain? I, I never thought about it. I said, yeah, you know, we want you around. I said, fine. So I, actually, I, I was like the captain. I said, okay, guys, let's try to win this. So I was coaching my best friends. So it was very strong. And when we started, you know, we, we, we were, our connection was lo- so perfect. You know, we, in the team, it was like, no. The communication, the motivation. We were doing. We, we we didn't have to say. We do. We 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 are doing it for our because we friends, not teammates. Friends, brothers. We were we were like brothers. The whole team, even even like the coach. Everybody. We, our team was like a team of brothers. But for real, you know, for real. So that was our energy. And then yeah, we playing Lyon. We playing Pete and and Andre. You know. Pete and Andre, even though Pete and Andre was not, they were not one and two, but I think they were three and six or whatever. But it was like Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi and Ken Flax. And said, so we're playing in Lyon. People in Lyon, it's like the first time they, they have this an event of this stature. Final of the Davis Cup. We haven't played, we haven't won a Davis Cup for, I don't know, 40 years or 50 years. So it's like a big deal. So, yeah, we, we went uh, for a... Uh, uh, in French, we say we go. Basically, we went in a, in a place with nobody. Uh, practice like we never did before for ten days before going to Lyon and practice for next time. So we basically prepared for the Davis Cup for like two weeks just for this goal, and we arrived so prepared. You know, a lot of yoga. By then, I was, you know, reading, you know, a lot, uh, doing a lot of yoga, visualization, uh, sophrology, uh, and uh, and my uh, my two mentors, you know, and I read all their books. Were Angelo Dundee, and I say, how do you coach? How do you coach Muhammad Ali? How do you coach Sugar Ray? How do you coach these people? Uh, so it was very inspiring, you know, took a lot of notes trying to be inspired and, 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 and most of all the, the books of Phil Jackson, I was reading all these books, uh, how, you know, he, he brought like a, he's bringing a spiritual dimension to the coaching. 
So all this, I made my own little mail, uh, my own little coaching, and uh, it was really working with with my best friends. And when we came on the on to play this, we were ready. We didn't read. We didn't read. Nowadays, you know, you cannot really take go out of the the, the general energy because of the social networks and the phones and so on and so forth. Before, all I had to do was say, okay, we don't read newspapers. Uh, there's no newspapers around, so we, we cut the TVs and we don't. So we didn't know what was going on. We're just getting ready. All we had to think about is getting ready for this match. So when we came, yeah, they played, they played the best tennis of their lives. Because you, know, you, just, you, you had Guy Forger in the team, but you also had... Henri Leconte, and I seem to remember he'd had a pretty serious injury not long before that. Yeah, we were playing the semi-finals, and uh, he had a back injury. And Henri, when he was not playing, was, would gain unbelievable weight really quickly. So he hadn't played for like a month and a half when we were playing the semi-final against Yugoslavia. Uh, he didn't... He, he, and and I called him and said, I felt bad for him. I felt, I really felt bad for him as my friend because we were playing. He didn't play for a few months. He we were playing the semifinal of the Davis Cup. It was his dream, but he couldn't. He could not even jog. He could. He could barely walk. He was so big. He was fat. I think he gained like twenty five pounds. That's how bad it was. So I called him because I felt, you know. He's not playing. He's probably there's no way I can leave him uh, watching this on TV. So I called him and say, "Okay, what well, you want to come back? You know, we take care of you. Come and see the game. You know." And we felt sad. You know, we made it to the final, but we felt sad because he, he was super sad. And uh, I, I, you know, I, Patrice, who was the the, the the trainer of the of the team said, "Yeah, we have to. You re, the, the finals in two and a half months. Why don't you come? You are the only one who can go talk to Henri and tell him that we need him for the finals. Just just give him this energy that at least he loses a lot of weight. At least give him a goal because now he was sad. He was pathetic. He was really sad. And uh, I said, "Yeah, I'll do that." So I remember everybody goes. We were about to go take the the, the cars to go to the airport, you know, we have a, an hour. I, I call him, I say, would you come by my room? You know, I, I need to talk to you. So he comes. So he's happy for us, but I can tell he's like so sad. He's so sad deep inside. You know, he's still, he's a, he's a warrior, but he's like, he, he can't play. You know, he's too big, too fat. So I say, uh, you know what? I have to I have something to say. If, if from this moment you work, you go to a place where you're going to have like a special diet, take care of your body for one month, one and a half month, work out. If you, if you do that, I don't care if you play one match before the final. If you just do that every day, you look at me in the eyes, you do it, I'll take you in the team. I don't know if you're going to play, but I'll take you in the team. And then Henri started to cry. And he just, he just said, you know, he cried, cried, cried. And he just went, uh, he told me, okay, he told the only thing he says, thank you, Yannick. I'll never forget that. And he, 
he took the plane. We went back to Paris. He took a car straight that night. He drove during the night to a place called Saint-Jean-de-Mont. It's like a rehab place. And he stayed there for five weeks. Five weeks nonstop. I was calling every, uh, you know, once a week at the beginning. And then people said they never got, they'd never seen a guy like that working so hard. He lost like uh, 20 pounds in two months. He worked crazy. He arrived. He didn't play a match. We went to this place I told you and we started to practice with the team. You know, my, the, the, the one supposed to play back then was Arnaud Birch, Olivier Delettre, oh, and for sure Guy Forger, but for number two, you know, I wasn't sure. And Henri was there. First day he plays games against them. He was 6-3, 6-2, 6-1. He didn't play sets for like four months. Next day he was 6-4, 6-3, 6-2. And it went on. And then by the end of the, the, the whole thing, you know, he started to beat them like one, two and one playing unbelievable. He was, he was on a mission. He was just on a mission. So yeah, he, he, he played his best tennis then, you know, because it was like more than tennis it was something inside that he was like, Oh, he was so close to like, he was, he was thinking about retiring. So of course, when you're ready, pumped up, fired up, uh, you, you almost, you, you saw death, you were dead, you were literally dead three months ago, you were not a player anymore, now you're playing the, sum, the final of the Davis Cup with Pete and Andre, Whew. he was out of, you know, I, I love to watch this because the, of course, the shots, it was unbelievable tennis, you know, for this day, it was unbelievable tennis, but what I love to watch is like the, the, the connection, the eyes of the guys. They are ready to die. No fear. Warriors, peaceful warriors, like crazy. I love to see that. And, and I, I can see a relation, a connection with my eyes when I played my final of the, US, of the French Open and their eyes when they played this final. It was crazy. I was, you know, it was crazy to be connected like that. And, you know, I never had it after that. Never. Even though we won like twice after that, I never had this intense connection with my players. They were my best friends. You know, it's like I'm playing with my best friends. You know, when you're in a 5 4 in the fifth and you're going to sit, you know, you look at the person in front of you, it's your best friend. You know, of course, you're gonna do what he do because he's not, he's not, he's not alone. We, we two, we got there playing together, and more, more, more than that, you know, we, we are, we are a team of friends. So, uh, you know, you could tell the energy, and 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 the people felt it. The people, the crowd, they felt it because we were, so, you know, we were supposed to lose this. You know, we made one chance out of ten. We're supposed to lose it, and then the next, and after the first day, like one all, then we win the doubles. So I have a little story to tell you. You have time? Sure. So it's 2-1. So now we're 2-1. What we need, we were, what we need now is like one point to win the whole thing, which was like the upset of, you know, our our history. So Guy was, oh, Guy, to win, I felt Agassi was like playing unbelievable because even though Guy lost to him the first day, Agassi played unbelievable, but... Guy played a fantastic match, you know, fantastic. It was a great match, but Agassi was like better. So I felt 
that the only one to win. I, I don't. I didn't think that Henri could beat Agassi. So I felt that it had to be Guy. So, so we watching videos, and Guy was very. Guy would never, never tell you, "Okay, I'm going to beat this guy." You know, never. So we're watching videos, and it's okay. This is the way we want to play, Pete. You know, okay. This is this. Okay, okay. So now you have to go sleep on that. So I said, I said to Guy before he goes to bed, "You okay?" He goes, "Yeah, you have it." Okay, so you're gonna go and just sleep on that and dream about this, just the way we just talked about. Say, yeah, yeah. And then for the and then he says one thing, Yanni. I swear, if I win, I'm not gonna be like you, like jumping up and down and crying and stuff. I look at him and I was like so happy because for the first time he told me that he believed he could do it. So he goes to sleep. So now I'm in my room and I usually don't sleep. I'm like so nervous. So after one and a half hours, like by now it's like one in the morning, my phone rings. It's Isabelle Forger. She goes, Yannick, Guy can't sleep. It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, he's like so nervous. He's like going around the room. You know, I told him to take a bath. He took a long bath. He can't sleep. But now he's telling me that, uh, He's telling me that uh, the bed is too soft. And she goes, how is your bed, Yannick? Because she knew that Guy was listening. I said, well, my bed is really hard. You know, the, the mattress is really, it's really hard. It's a, it's a hard mattress. Oh, it's a hard mattress. Can we come into your room and change room? So here we are, exchanging rooms at three in the morning. Because, and of course, the mattress were exactly the same, but he, he needed, you know, to, to know that I was around, I guess. So he goes, and here we are in the middle of the night, changing rooms, changing beds. I give him my bed, I take their beds. The bed were the same. Anyway, so by now, I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? But so I'm going, I know I have an idea. So we were staying in the middle, in the middle of the town. And it was all these restaurants and we could sometimes hear people chanting. All the crowds were like the supporters, the fans were like in the city. So by three in the morning, I just took my jeans on, get dressed and go into the streets and go to, they had, they had like a, uh, a, a walking place where you have no cars with all the restaurants, mm -hmm. a very popular place in Lyon called Rue Mercière. So I knew that like, you know, hundreds of fans and thousands of fans were there. You know, so I, I, I decided to go. So I went to all the restaurants, all the restaurants, stand up in one table. I go to the first one, stand on the table, say, oh, yeah, and you can say, no, 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 guys, I have to tell you, I count on you tomorrow. You really have to help Guy. Guy needs you. Guy needs you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I went to about 12 restaurants to do that. Like, you know, fire up the whole you know my the fans so the next day you know it was crazy he told me that even though he didn't sleep a lot but he slept very well on the bed uh the crowd were crazy it was crazy it was just fantastic to have like you know i don't think we've ever had we never we've never had that after never never had this amount of energy coming from the crowd never uh and uh and he you know 
took that help it helped him you know and uh and that was fantastic and he wins this game uh crazy you know i have to tell you another last story (laughs) you know i told you that arthur came to arthur came to cameroon right yeah and he and he came with tom ocker tom ocker Mm -hmm. charlie Passarel and Marty recent, but Tom Walker. My first time I was playing singles in Davis Cup was against Holland. Tom Walker. I'm playing Tom Walker. Like it was seven years after, actually, yes, seven years after we met in Cameroon. I'm playing him. So it was part of all the whole, my whole story. So I'm, my first game as Davis Cup player is to play Tom. I'm trying to make the story short. Playing the fifth set, we're playing on carpet. Playing the fifth set, I'm serving for the match at, I think, 8-7 or 10-8 or 10-9. I'm serving for the match. 40-30, match point. I serve, he returns, I make a volley on his backhand. It's a winner. I throw my racket up. Okay, I won. He dives. You, you have to look at it slow motion. I throw my racket. It's, he's, he's beaten. He dives. The ball is behind him. And for some reason, with his wrist, he hits the ball back. The problem is when the ball, the little mini lob that comes, I, I, I finish the volley. He's underground. But the problem is that I threw my racket. So I don't have a racket. So, <laughs> so the ball comes slow motion in front of me and I take it with my hand. My racket is over there. You imagine the, the the crowd in Holland screaming, screaming, screaming. So I almost lost this match because of this mistake. <laughs> I'm 19 at this point. You know, when you're young, you don't you don't think too much. You don't you know you don't panic. You know, this energy of being young. You know, so I end up winning this match. But I, I will never forget this. <laughs> Listen to this. Look at look at the finals against Pete Sampras. Look at the match point. Because I told them the story. I told them the story so many times. It was like, you know, it was part of the story. It was, oh, Yannick did that one. It was a joke, blah, blah. We're laughing about it. For years, even before I was captain. Look at what happened with Guy. Look at the final. He serves to the back end. Pete returns to his down the line. And Guy makes like... A perfect volley, cross-court volley. It's a winner. Look, if you look at the image, look at it. He, Pete dives, dives. This is a winner. Ninety-nine point nine percent. It's a winner. Peter, Pete dives and hit the ball and give a slow ball back that actually hit a little bit of the net and come. But look at Guy. Guy almost threw his racket. Guy almost threw his racket away. He, d- he almost did the same thing. It was crazy, but he kept the racket. And the crowd, believe- the crowd were already cheering that first shot. Already, he, his racket was. All, he, he always had like this movement where he's going to throw his racket, and then he, the ball comes and he doesn't throw the racket. It's really. And then and then he said he was not going to cry and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen uh, a player uh, collapse to the ground quite like the way he did. It was, he completely lost control of his body. 
He just oh, I love that. I mean, it was the ultimate match. It was the ultimate match. And I'm winning Davis Cup for us. You know, we have a tradition for Davis Cup. You know, Philippe Chatrier, who used to be the president, had this dream of winning the Davis Cup. I did. So it's like, it, it, meant, it meant a lot. It was like Jean Borotra was like the, one of the Mousquetaires was the reason why with Lacoste and Cochet where the reason why Roland Garros was built, was built, was in the state, in this, at the stadium. He was there. He was, he was filled with history. Guy is a, is very, is special guy. He loves the tradition. He loves, he loves Davis Cup. I think he loved more Davis Cup than actually winning a Grand Slam. He's a teammate. He's a, so to, to win this last point for him was the universe. And, uh, and it's, 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 uh, it's really a moment that where, you know, all of a sudden you, do, you just, you, you just fall. <laughs> you just fall. <laughs> what can you do? It's, it's like joy. You can die at this moment. It doesn't, it won't make a difference. It won't make a difference. So that was, yeah, that was a special moment. Oh, such, such wonderful memories. Yannick, thank yeah, you yeah, so you know, you're, much. You're like, like you hug your best friend, you know. You cry and hug your best friend, you know. That that's what Davis Cup gave us, you know. And that was tennis gave up. I hugged my dad. I, I I cried of happiness and I cried for happiness hugging my best friend because, you know, we won the Davis Cup together, you know. So that's something that that we never forget, of course. <laughs> Oh dear. Wonderful. Wonderful stories. Thank you so much for your time. It's been well, lovely well, to hear it. Welcome, all. David. Well, welcome. And I'm really, it was great to talk to you. And uh, after all these years. Yeah, it's a long time. It's a lot, but I, you know, I, I've probably heard one or two of these stories over the years mm -hmm. when we were mm -hmm. traveling on mm -hmm. tour, but yeah. always yeah. wanted to, to do this. And, um, yeah. and it's just lovely. Thank you so yeah. much. My pleasure, David. Yannick Noah, what a man, what a guy he is. I, I mean, I, I just love talking to him and I hope you've enjoyed listening to that as much as I did because he's the best interview around and, uh, and it's just a thrill really to have had him as our guest here on the Tennis Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, do tell your friends, your family, your social media groups, your WhatsApp groups, um, our link to share this interview is in the show notes to this podcast um and yeah thanks very much for your company as always we we're loving producing the podcast and we will be back with many more over the coming weeks we're going to have a meeting this week to discuss our plans we'll have daily shows during the u.s open fortnight whether there is a tournament or not we we know it's still up in the air at the moment there is still hope that there will be a live tennis from the u.s open if not It'll be US Open relived all the way. Uh, and then the French Open as well. We look like we're going to have that. So we'll have loads of shows for you. Thanks for listening to this one. And we'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. <laughs> 